you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through the book of Acts in hyper speed, 19 through 31, and uh, we're going to pick up in um, verse 19 here. And Paul, we'll pick up, uh, let's see here, yeah, verse 19. And Saul took food and was strengthened. This is shortly after he was on the road to Damascus. The Lord revealed himself. He became blind for three days and he fasted and prayed. And now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Those are incredible words from a man who was on his way to Damascus to persecute those who claimed that. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength in confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with Saul. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the the gates day and night, hoping to catch him, going in and out, that they might kill him. But his disciples took him by night And let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples there, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles, described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus, and that he had talked to him, and how Damascus he had spoken boldly about the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking, talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. But they were attempting to put him to death. I want you to stop right there. These are the same Hellenistic Jews that killed Stephen. Saul was the one who held the coats as they killed Stephen for arguing the cause of Christ. And now Paul is back and he is in the place of Stephen and they're seeking to kill him. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarshish. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a season of peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church continued to increase. Let's ask God's blessing and we'll walk through this together. Gracious Father, thank you for the opportunity to sit under your word. We thank you for the new members that you brought to us. We thank you for the reminder of our commitment to one another. And Father, we know that in order to honor those commitments, there will be times of great joy and there will be times of difficult decisions. Father, we know that we do not have to sacrifice love 
to keep your truth, that we can do both at the same time. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit be our teacher. I ask that you help me to remember what I studied, and I pray, Lord, that what I studied is consistent with what your word says. And if it's not, stop me. Thank you for these people. They are yours. Confess my sins in front of these people, and I ask that you forgive me my sins. I ask that I teach not because I am worthy, but because you are. And Father, I pray this and I ask this in your son's precious name. And if you are awake this morning, say amen. Amen. My hope is the next time you see this picture, it will explode with thousands upon thousands of words and depth of meaning. We're going to start with this picture and we'll end with this picture and we, we will study this text and when it comes back, I hope it explodes for you. For three days, Saul has been praying, he has been repenting, and he has been seeking more of Jesus since he saw him on the road of Damascus. And then there's a a knock at the door, and a man whose name means God is gracious, truly God is gracious for the salvation of Saul's soul. A man stands at the door of the home of Judas on Straight Street, and his name is Ananias. And he is there not because he wants to be, but because the Lord has asked him to be. Sometimes obedience is hard. He is there to lay hands on Saul so he might regain his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Saul is born again, he is, and his first request is to obey the Lord in believer's baptism. Before he eats even a morsel of food, he says, I want to be baptized. What a scene we must see here. Can you see the water drip off the robes of, 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 of Saul as he publicly identifies with Jesus Christ in his church? Here is what we need to remember. Baptism is the first command that we are given after we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It is evidence that we are responsive to the gospel. But while obedience starts, let me emphasize that, starts with baptism, it does not stop there. In fact, we see it here in the text. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. I want you to see these words in the context that he has just obeyed the Lord in believer's baptism, and now he is obeying the Lord by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is obeying the great commission, go into all the world. He's in Syria, by the way, here, so he is outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, outside of Samaria, and outside of Israel, into Damascus, which is the capital of ancient Syria, he is obeying, being an apostle to the Gentiles, the Great Commission. And it is here that we see our first application already. True salvation is not simply to redeem us out of hell. True salvation is not merely about escaping hell and having hell insurance. And then, and then leaves us the way that we found, found us. 
Those who are truly redeemed by Christ are a completely new creation. In that, if we truly have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are compelled to serve the Lord. Here's a question. Do you feel compelled to serve the Lord? Do you feel compelled to follow him in baptism? Do you feel compelled to serve and edify the church and then to love and reach the lost? This is the whole point of why Luke is writing this down here. He tells us, it's really interesting, it's just baked within the text of his writing. He, he tells us how Saul is serving the Lord so that we can see that his salvation is genuine. He writes down, look at what he is doing for what he is doing is evidence that what he said is true. Oh, how we could benefit from that in, in Grand Rapids today. Did you grab that? True salvation changes our goals. True salvation changes our goals. What, what, what would you have thought if Saul said, I have given my life to the Lord. I have seen him on the road to Damascus. And then Saul went back to exactly what was important to him before he ever saw Christ. Or worse, what if he lived uh, and dived into the things that Christ hates? What about us? Do we claim things but then engage in what God hates? Do we claim the Lord? Do we claim the Holy Spirit and yet nothing changes in our lives? And while Saul was brilliant in his knowledge of the Old Testament Scripture, and had a great background and a stunning conversion testimony, this by no means means that he had it all together. And by the way, no one has it all together. Can I get an amen on that? I saw Pastor Jason's, um, uh, uh, um, what do we do before this? It's um, Sunday school ACE classes. I saw him in there, and he's teaching a class. What's the name of it? Managing our shepherding your painful past. And I'm like, man, it's packed in there. All those people have painless past, or not painless, painful past. And then I kind of smirked and I said, but the truth of the matter is, every single one of us could have been in that class because all of us have painful pasts. Amen? Paul has one as well. Saul, it's going to be Paul soon. All right? He has a painful one. He doesn't have it all together. We see this truth in the words, but Saul kept increasing in strength. Now, these words here, the exact Greek word here, if we, we translated it exactly into the English language, it would say, he increased in his empowerment. This word is not physical in nature. It's not like, like, like Saul hit the weight room, all right? He wasn't benching 250 and squatting 400 like I once did. Okay, good. You caught that. This is not physical in nature. It is conceptual in nature, this word. The more Saul served the Lord, the stronger he was in that ability. More capable he was in his ability to preach Jesus Christ. And here it is, as the Son of God. By the way, this is the only time you will see the title to Jesus as Son of God in the book of Acts. And it comes from the very guy who looked to stamp it out. 
And he became better at it. He strengthened in his ability to do so. My friends, there is a universal truth here that applies to all of us. And here it is. We learn by doing, not just knowing. Saul was more brilliant than all of us combined. A Pharisee of Pharisee, a Benjamite, a student of the, of the respected Pharisee Gamaliel. He was, he was the, 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 all right? Write that down. He was the Pharisee. But knowledge doesn't mean that you're strong. We learn by doing, not just by knowing. You know, in high school, I practiced shooting the basketball like there was no tomorrow. A, because I could never get a girl to talk to me, so that sent me to the basketball court, all right? I couldn't get a girl to talk to me. I didn't have a lot of friends. My only friend was Tyler Vandergucci, all right? And we would do things together, and I needed something to do. I was the youngest by nearly four to five years, so I spent a lot of time shooting the basketball, pretending that I was Larry the Legend Bird, That'll tell you how old I am. And I would shoot that basketball tens of thousands of times. Tens of thousands of times. Repetitions. To the point that later in my high school years, I shot around 98% from the three throw line. In fact, not to brag, but very, but to brag, all right? I don't like to toot my own horn. However, very rarely did the ball even hit the rim as it went through the rim. It just would snap the net. And I would look around and no one cared. (laughs) I even won the three throw contest at our high school. I was good at it. I was the guy, by the way, who didn't play at all during the game, but if there was a close game, Coach Huckabee would say, boom, over here. And I'd get off off the bench, and I'm like, yeah, Coach, what do you want me to do? You want me to save the game? Because he always kept me for the last two minutes, right? And I, what do you want me to save the game? He goes, no, I want you to go out there, and when you get the ball, let them foul you. That was all I was good for. <laughs> I was the guy they put in at the end of the game to be fouled and put on the line. To hit the three throws to keep the game in check. That was my role. Brett, get in there and take a beating. <laughs> Little did I know that the Lord was preparing me for ministry. No, I'm just... <laughs> and I'm over it. All right? I was talking to a friend back there in the sound booth who will remain nameless, but he's in charge of the video right now. I said, I feel like someone's mad at me. And he goes, isn't like nine or ten people mad at you at any given point in time? And I said, on a good day, but I feel like it's more than that. And then I graduated from high school. And I spent less time with the basketball and more time with another interest of mine by the name of Amy Paget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she won the lottery, didn't she? <laughs> there was a young lady who came into my office, a uh, young child, I don't know, 10 years old, came into my office this week as their mom was there. And she goes, oh, look, Miss Amy, she looks the same. And I said, don't I look the same? And this 10-year-old went, you look rough. <laughs> I picked up the phone. I said, come get your daughter. She doesn't know the Bible. I hung up the phone. And she was removed from membership classes. (laughs) But I traded basketball for her. By the way, easy transition. Easy transition. 
And now I stink at three throws. I stink at them. Laying a brick would be a gross misrepresentation of my basketball shot today. All right? Not to mention that when I shoot it and it barely hits the backboard, I get sharp shoulder pain through my right arm that tells me we're done here. And by the way, here's the thing, coming back to the point, it has nothing to do with my lack of knowledge on how to shoot. My, my junior high coach, before I went in high school and had a stellar career of three throw shooting, was Kim Elders over there at, Grand Ra- at Cornerstone University. He was my junior high coach, and he taught me how to shoot. You know, you get the ball, you're on the balls of your feet, you got the arm under the ball, fingertips, this on the side, you're going up, this hand comes off, you bring it up here, you snap the wrist, you reach into the cookie jar, you have perfect form, all right? You, you aim at the front of the rim, and it goes in! No, it does not. You have to do it a lot. You see, it's not that I don't know how to shoot the ball, It's that I don't what, church? I don't what? I don't do it. I don't do it. The more you do something, the better you become at it. The less you do something, the worse you get at it. Many people say they don't know how to share the gospel. Many people will say, in the context of Saul here, how to pray or how to serve where God has put them. Here's a note. Most often, it's not because of a lack of knowledge. How can we not know how to share the gospel if we claim to have accepted the gospel? You can't have one and not the other. But it's not a lack of knowledge, but rather it's something very simple. It is a lack of doing. I want to unpack this further, but we'll do that in a moment when this text speaks more clearly to it. And it is here that we will take a major turn in our study that is attached to what we were just looking at. We learn but by doing. We learn by doing. But that doesn't do away with our need to know and our need to learn. And we're going to bring those together in a moment and marry them. So let me unpack what I mean. Just because Saul was doing it did not mean that God skipped the training doesn't mean that God skipped the learning. We find this in the words, then many days had elapsed. I want you to see here that these five words contain three years of study. A lot of times we can read this passage and go, oh, many days. You know, what is that? Seven days, 12 days, 14 days, maybe maybe 50 days? No, three years went by and those one, two, three, four, five words. Further evidence, by the way, found within the internal context here, but, but his disciples took him. So there was enough time that passed by that Saul got his own gathering of disciples. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Is it Paulus? Did I say that right? Oh, thank you for your help. Okay. He was three years, he gained his own following of disciples, followers, if you will. Paul had been teaching and doing long enough to have his own followers within Damascus. So in between verses 22 and 23, where we see the words, many days has elapsed, we see for three years. In fact, Saul describes where he went and what he did in Galatians chapter 1. He says, he says this, for you have, oh here it is. When God, Jesus, had set me apart and was pleased to reveal his son to me, dot, 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 on the road to Damascus, 
I did not immediately go up to Jerusalem, but I went away into the desert of Arabia near the Sinai Peninsula, and for three years I stayed there until I went to Jerusalem. So there's a three-year pause in those five words. Again, the context is just because you're doing doesn't mean we sacrifice knowing. Neither should we know and sacrifice doing. Three years elapsed in those words. Many days had elapsed. Paul was growing in his ability. But I want you to note something. Ability in ministry without sound doctrine is a dangerous place for the church. Ability that is not rooted in sound doctrine is extremely dangerous to the church. It is a dangerous place personally as well. A dangerous place corporately. And it is absolutely devastating to the church today. The church has pulpits today filled with pastors who cleverly lead the church away from God's truth and towards social expectations. God pulled Saul away into the Arabian wilderness. By the way, this is the same area where Mount Sinai is located. G.P. Morgan talks about that in his commentary. So don't let this escape you. Grab this. Saul took, no, God took Saul away for three years to prepare him and train him, and you'll see that picture there, in the same place he prepared Moses, in the same place he prepared Elijah. Paul is being trained where Moses the lawgiver and Elijah the reformer were trained. So the question rises, the natural question rises, all right? What did he learn for three years? What did he learn on the backside of that desert, the same place Moses and Elijah were trained? Allow me to save us some time based on the writings of everything that Paul wrote. Everything that Paul wrote, whether it's Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians, Corinthians, Paul learned the same two things over and over again that you and I must learn in our doing and in our knowing. And here's what he learned. He learned who Jesus is and who Saul was or is. If I could make it present tense, who Jesus is and who we are, who you are, who I am. Which brings us back to a little bit of what we emphasized last week. The more we see God in the light of his word, the more we see ourselves in the light of our sins. Paul poured over the scriptures. I'm starting to call him Paul here for a reason. He poured over the scriptures. The same Old Testament scriptures he's memorized as a Jewish child. He was in the synagogue. He, he knew the Torah, especially the Shema, like it was like, it was like a, a slice of bread and how to butter it. He not only learned from them, he became a Pharisee, a Pharisee, a Benjamite. He, he was a student under Gamaliel. He was, he, was, he was the representative of the, of the Sanhedrin to go and persecute the believers and held the coats while they stoned Stephen. This guy knows the law of God. He knows the scriptures. Only this time... In the desert, all those scriptures he memorized, in the way he, only this time he saw them in the light in which they were written, in that everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. All of the sudden, the serpent lifted up was about Christ. All of the sudden, that suffering servant was Jesus Christ. And scripture is exploding in his mind. 
All of the Old Testament is a reference concerning Jesus Christ. You'll find that in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Those are the words of Christ himself. Hey, when you look at those stories, feel free to gain all those peripheral application, but don't sacrifice the point. It's Jesus Christ. For three years, Paul got his Ph.D. in theology and anthropology. Sound doctrine of who God is and who man is in relation to him. This is undeniably true by reading what Paul wrote in his letters to Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. If you read these letters in one setting, you will see one consistent pattern, one after another. In every letter, you'll see the same pattern. Each book of the Bible, he writes, begins with a theological doctrinal foundation, and then he will move into practical application. If you look at the book of Ephesians, the first half of the book is just solid doctrine. The last half of the book is how that doctrine is applied to our lives. Saul writes about sound doctrine and how it leads to godly living. So herein lies the balance. It is not enough to know. It is not enough to know, Grand Rapids. It's not enough to sit in the pew. It's not enough to have a seminary degree. It's not enough to have gone to Sunday school. It's not enough to know that every question asked in church is the answer is Jesus. It's not enough. We must do. In order to do it right, we must think right. Now you may say, okay, okay, we get it. Why so much time on this point? Why so much time on this point? Because this is killing Christianity today. It's killing us. We are heavy on one, and we are absent on the other. Sound doctrine and theology in the church is being devalued. It is being dismissed, and it is being shunned. We have traded in the truth of God's Word for TED Talks, theme series, moral lessons, and the church today seems that there is more value in being socially woke than biblically soaked. And this has yielded catastrophic results within the church. Sound doctrine is the only foundation for healthy Christian living. But pastor, isn't there a danger that knowledge puffs us up? It makes us prideful. Here's the answer. Yes! That danger is there. Lord knows that many Christians within our bubble evaluate their maturity in Christ based on how many answers to the questions they know. And not how they live. And we congratulate ourselves on being able to parse Greek words while ignoring a broken person. And here it is. Both extremes are unbiblical. Both extremes are unbiblical. My friends, while it is true that knowledge puffs up, the answer to that danger is not to become doctrinally stupid. That's a good look for me, is it not? It is true that knowledge can puff up, but the answer is not to become doctrinally ignorant. Knowing God is the only foundation to truly living for Him. Now, it's important to know that mere moral or good intentions that bring forth worldly approval is not biblical Christianity. 
want you to hear that again. Mere moral teaching and good intentions that bring forth worldly approval is not biblical Christianity. But rather, the more we know God through sound doctrine, the greater we will value Him and the less we will worship ourselves in this world. God poured His sound doctrine into Saul for three years for the sole purpose of getting Saul out of Saul. And He left the desert with a, really with a new name. And, he, and rather than being full of Saul, he, he came out of there with the idea that He is Paul. You want to know what Paul means? Paul literally means I am small. See what sound doctrine does. You know what false heretical doctrine does? It elevates this and lowers this. We see it all around us. We must combine sound doctrine with a fervent love for God or all we will do is use God to love ourselves. And the only way we can do this is to have time alone with Him in His Word. Here's a question. Do you have time with God regularly? Just you and Him. It doesn't have to be super fancy. We don't have to overcomplicate it. Let me give you a quick and simple thing that I do. And it will blow you away and it will make you think, my goodness, I'm not sure He should be our pastor anymore. But here it is. It's important to know the Word of God is powerful. Just read through a book of the Bible, one little section at a time. Pick a section. I don't care if it's five verses, ten verses, twenty verses. Work through one book of the Bible, just a, just a touch. Young people, if you don't have time, grab five verses. Grab just a section. And then talk to God about what you just read. Talk to God about what you just read. Don't make it about you. You may find areas that are about you and you can pray over them, but just read and talk to God about it. It will change your life because God's word does not come back void. So he returns on the desert from the desert. Here it is. Big on God, sound doctrine, and small on self-living. Both are what bring the gospel out of us. And the Jews in Damascus... They don't like it. They don't like it. They can't stand his passion. They can't stand his knowledge. It is far superior. He knows the Old Testament. He knows Jesus Christ. He, he knows a big God. And he's now, he's now Paul, for he is small. So they plot together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night that they may put him to death. Now grab how small Paul has become. Grab how small he has become. He headed to Damascus, a Benjamite, a powerful man named Saul, and he leaves by the name Small as a man being let down through the side of a wall in a basket. That is a piece of humble pie. But they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him not believing that he was a disciple. So three years go by, and here comes the infamous Saul. His reputation precedes him. They heard he had accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And then three years later, he comes into Jerusalem, Galatians chapter 1, 13 through 18. And he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they wanted nothing to do with him, not believing that he was a disciple. 
There may be some really easy reasons for this. Our minds go to the fact that he was Saul, the Christian slayer. The lion, one seeking to devour the very church he's now a member of. But there's another reason. It took him three years to get there. It took him three years to get there after his conversion. If his conversion was real, if his conversion was real, thinking through the minds of the 12 apostles and disciples, why would he wait three years to come back and fight the good fight? Where's he been? We see here that the, the, the disciples are skeptical in Jerusalem. But let us think about it from Paul's perspective. He is blinded. He is led by the hand. He is prayed over by God is gracious, Ananias. For three years he is in the desert where Moses and Elijah were trained in the Arabian desert, being prepared that God is great and he is small. He, his name is now mean small. And then your own people try to kill you in Damascus. They slide you down a wall in a basket. The apostles in Jerusalem don't believe you. And the mother church will not have anything to do with you. Saul went from being named after King Saul. Saul went from being named after the king, a Benjamite. By the way, the tribe of Benjamin was the proudest of all tribes. It was the first tribe that would go into battle. They were the the ones that ran out there first. And all of Israel would chant as the tribe of Benjamin went first. They would go, oh, after you, oh, Benjamin! And they were proud of being that tribe. Paul described himself as a Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a son of a Pharisee, a student of Gamaliel. And now he is small Paul, rejected by all. That rhymes. Small Paul, rejected by all. By the way, if you follow Christ, you get the same title. Saul Paul. Abandoned by all. Can you imagine how lonely this would have been for Paul? Cut off from your former Jewish colleagues and now from the church in Jerusalem. And this went on for a while. We do not know exactly how long he was in the state of loneliness or rejection, but we are given a hint. It says here he was trying to associate with the disciples. This word trying here is written in the imperfect tense in the original language, which, re- which is suggests repeated attempts to join the fellowship. It's kind of like that young man trying to get that first date with that girl he likes. He is, he is in the imperfect tense in his life. He's trying over and over and over again to just get a maybe. Because maybe means what, church? We will not answer this question in the politically charged climate. He's trying, he's trying over and over and over again and they want nothing to do with him. Repeated attempts that are rebuffed. How in the world, and we're about to get some real application that all of us need to hear. I'm done with 75% of my, 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 what is this called? It's not sermon, lesson, teaching moment, loud noises, whatever you want to give that. We're down to the last 25%, and we all need to hear this, especially within our circles of Christianity. How in the world is this cat going to break in? He's been gone for three years. No one believes him. What will happen next? Well, look at it. But Barnabas. Barnabas. 
but Barnabas. Barnabas is a highly respected gentleman within the church. His name means son of encouragement. He was an encouraging guy. In Acts chapter 4, when they were selling everything to help one another, he sold one of his fields and gave his money to the church so that it could help the needy. Notice he's doing, not just knowing. Because when you truly know Jesus Christ, you are compelled to serve Jesus Christ. Luke makes sure we see this with Paul. He truly knew Jesus Christ. He was compelled to serve Jesus Christ. Can I ask you a question? What should we assume biblically of those who feel no compulsion to follow Christ while claiming his name? Now, There's an important application found in these responses of both these groups. We have two groups here. We have the 12 apostles and we have Barnabas. Let's start out with the apostles' response. Do you know there's a tendency for even long-time believers, that would be the apostles here, they were the first, long-time believers who have seen the power of God, who have studied, they know, they have studied the Word of God. In fact, who is the primary teacher of the disciples before and after the resurrection? I just gave you the answer. Who was their teacher? Talk to me. They have had their lives transformed from fishermen and and zealots and, and tax collectors They have had their lives transformed. They studied at the feet of Jesus, yet they doubt God's ability to change this guy. Sometimes long-time believers, and I'm not talking gray hair here, all right? I'm talking maturity in Christ. There are those who have a lot of gray hair and are babies in Christ. Can I get a witness to that? I'm not going forward until we acknowledge that old people can be immature, amen? Amen. Okay, I speak of myself, all right. And there can be young people who are very mature, or vice versa. I'm not talking about age here, but long-time people in the church, regardless of age, who have seen the power of God, who have sat in the pew, can doubt God's ability to change others. There is a danger for us when when, when doctrine sticks in our head, but does not make it to our heart. The church needs to be filled with Barnabases. Barnabas saw what others were avoiding. And he sought Paul out and heard him out, got to know him. And rather than discard Paul, how quickly are we to discard one another? I'm done. One of my boxes are not checked. One of my expectations are not met. I am done. I'm heading to a new flavor of ice cream. No. He got to know him. And rather than discard him, he took hold of him by the hand. He took hold of him by the hand and brought him to the apostles and described to them what he had seen by the Lord and how he had talked to them in Damascus and spoken boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. He is the mediator between this guy and the apostles. Time is running out, so let's just get to the point. Often more knowledgeable, again, not gray hair or no hair. I said that for you, David. And for soon me. I'm not talking about old or gray hair. I'm talking about more knowledgeable, long-time members of the church can excel, grab this, in criticizing young or new members in in the faith. Treating everyone like they should all be mature believers immediately. 
Has the church ever been guilty of expecting everyone to be in the exact same place on their journey with the Lord at the same time with no room for progressive growth? Have we just universally held everyone to to a standard because that's where we're at? Have we done that? Of course we have. Treating everyone like they should be in the same place on their journey. My friends, Christians, that's you and me, we mature at different paces based on when we came to know the Lord. And maturity, by the way, is a journey. It is a painful journey, by the way. It is a journey that takes time. And here it is, and I want you to affirm it. All of us are on different places on that path heading towards Christian likeness. Amen? We're all in different places. Unfortunately, in the church, like here in the text, see, I'm not on a rabbit trail, it's in the text. Unfortunately, in the church, rather than getting to know people in the text who might not be where we think they ought to be for three years in the text, Rather than getting to know people who might not be where we think they should be, rather than welcoming and loving them, we are quick to point out that we do, what we don't like and what we are fearful of. This is not the gospel. This is religion. Years ago, I had a person come to me, and we'll give this person a name. Give me a name that you think is a name of someone who is not in this room right now. Give me a name. What's that? Sylvester? Okay, I need a female name. Guinevere. Guinevere? Okay, we'll go with Betsy, all right? (laughs) Only because it's one of those things I wanted you to pick what I wanted, giving you an illusion that you picked it, because that's strong leadership, all right? No, did you say Guinevere? I'll try, all right? But if I can't can't remember two-syllable words well when I'm speaking, or three-syllable words when I'm speaking... Years ago, Guinevere, this just sounds like pride and prejudice, doesn't it? That sounds like Little House on the Prairie. Have you met Guinevere? No. Okay. Um, Or the Wonder Years. How many here remember the Wonder Years? I'm working through that right now in my devotions, all right? Years ago, Guinevere who was in the church for many years, brought a concern about another person who was younger in the faith. Again, not in age, just younger in the faith. Pastor, look what she is what? Yeah, wearing. Which is an action. And we will not tolerate it. Look what she is wearing. Look at what she is doing. Pastor, look at what she is wearing. What happened to the dress code in the church? Something must be what? It's got to be done. You ever notice we define what should be done based on where we are at? If we're weaker in the faith, we demand people come and meet us. If we're strong in the faith, we demand they accelerate. We never just can meet in the middle, God forbid. Because everyone who doesn't agree with our every nuance is evil. I saw rabbit trail. What time is it? Do I have time for rabbit trails? No, I don't. Ah! All right, there's no evening service. Can I just say this? Maybe in America the enemy is 
not your neighbor who thinks just a little differently than you. Can I get a witness to that? People in Ukraine would long, long for an enemy that just thought differently from them. Something must be done. And I agreed. Although I think we had a different idea of what something, that something might be. Let me just tell you, the dress code in the church is modesty for men and women. All right? It is not a style and it is not a fabric. Okay? It's not a fabric. It's not a style. It's not drawing attention to ourselves. I always, if I could in my imagination, I always like how some person could be, look at the length of that dress. They're drawing attention to themselves. And they got like peacock feathers flowing in the, in the wind as they walk into the church. Yeah, God forbid someone draw attention to themselves. That's not in my notes. Now notice that something, something must be done. I got to get going. Did not include getting to know the young believer. Did not include getting to know the young believer or loving the young believer. I looked at, Gwen, is it Guinevere? I looked at Guinevere who, who was all up in the arms as a person who I love in Christ and I said, what is her name? And Guinevere looked at me as if her name had nothing to do with anything. I said, what is her story? Where is she in her walk with Jesus Christ? Again, I just got blank looks. I said, it bothers me that you are aware of this dress infraction, but you are not aware of the person, Barnabas. And I don't know if it's just my old age or my stupidity or my ignorance, but in humility, I hope, I leaned in and said, the fact that you do not know her name is a far greater trespass than what she is wearing. Barnabas took him by the hand. We need the heart of Barnabas in the church to be people who err in loving one another, encouraging one another. And sometimes that encouragement is hard. Sometimes that encouragement is easy. You say, but pastor, what about the fear of the Lord? What about the truth of God's word? Oh, hear me, my friends. The fear of the Lord is not at odds with his grace and his love. They're not at odds. We can hold all three in our hand without sacrificing anything. In fact, it is only through knowing sound biblical doctrine and living it out that we can hold all three. Here it is at Trinity Baptist Church. May our hands be full, full of the love of God, full of his grace, full of his truth, full of his holiness. May I talk to our mature believers in the church, again, not an age, but a place. Let us not be quick to criticize or try to make people follow our brand of Christianity, but rather, like Barnabas, let us come alongside and love them sacrificially with time, with resources, with truth, and in love, and welcome them in. We are all in different places in our maturity in Jesus Christ. My friends, immaturity is not always a sin. Immaturity is not always a sin. When you see your little child do something stupid, sometimes it's because they're what? Children. 
Immaturity is not always a sin, but let me grab this. A lack of Christ-like love is. How long have we held up our expectations and given a rip about the love of Christ and congratulate ourselves on holding a standard, a standard that has nothing to do with God. The United States Navy has over 700 battleships. Hopefully this picture speaks to you. 700 ships that comprise what is called the Mothball Navy. These vessels are anchored in various harbors around the country, receiving regular maintenance to prevent rust. But they're just sitting there. They do nothing. And even though they require a lot of money, a lot of effort, a lot of work just to maintain them and keep them floating. They do nothing. My friends, there are so many mothball Christians in the church today. We sit harbored week after week in the pews and in the pulpits. We require maintenance, especially when we have problems and needs, but we're not doing anything to serve the Lord and one another. If Christ has saved us from our sins like Saul and like Stephen and like so many before us, if Christ has saved us from our sins, then we are to be compelled to love and zealously serve him. Jesus said this and I'm done. The Son of Man, which is a title he only used for himself. The Son of Man came not to be served. Why do you come to church? Is it the service? The programs? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. That's what we're supposed to do. If we are growing to be like Jesus, our focus in life is to get out of the harbor and serve. And the only way to do this is to balance knowing him and serving him. Are you balanced? Gracious Heavenly Father, may we serve you. May we know you. You are a great God, and I am a small man. We love you, Lord Jesus. Dismiss us with your pleasure alone, not ours. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed.